Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming Billy Mays III, and I would love to get started with this right now. On tap today, we have Billy Mays III. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing all right. Thanks for I'm having glad, me. Glad to hear it. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you are a very talented musician, and you also tend to put a lot of your efforts into using your fame to promote charities, charity yeah. projects, like the Laundry Project, for example. Yeah, so that um, that actually is a friend of mine's thing that he started, um, where which for people not familiar is uh, they go to they go to laundromats in in like underserved communities and do free laundry days and they'll put up signs and say come do your laundry for free and they they have a bunch of volunteers and they get as much laundry done as they can they bring tons of quarters and soap and stuff and they just they do all kinds of loads of laundry that day and so that was what i thought would be the best first real like um, partnership for for my little charity thing that i was doing at the time and I, and I still have i've raised a decent about amount of money for them and now we're sort of moving on to the next thing which hasn't yet been defined um for the project but and know. that that's fine I, I won't beg you for details on something that's not quite ready to go public but yeah i mean just you did this because you know when you're really down on your luck possibly homeless or just in a bad stretch just getting clean clothes can sometimes make the whole a world of difference yeah, I actually, I volunteered a few times at these projects. They call them, I guess they just call them like pop-ups, but um, we, I, I was so shocked at like when you get down in there and you see, you know, the people coming in and like what it becomes, it becomes this community thing. And it's totally like a no questions asked type deal, which I loved. And yeah, it, it just really put it in perspective. People are bringing their bed sheets and, you know, five loads of laundry and I, and you add it up and you're like, wow, yeah, I mean, it is, if you don't have a washer dryer, especially, it's like, that's a big deal for a family. And um, it's one of those things that just, it's a practical way of helping people, which I love. And I mean, we talk about, um, an artist will sometimes say they built their their career from the ashes, but in your case, that's literal. You, yeah. you had to start your music career after losing nearly everything. Yeah, that's true. Um, 2009 is the that year that's uh that's like the genesis year of my like new life and in february 2009 i had an apartment fire where i was in the middle of the night my my apartment building caught on fire and it was an older apartment building so it went up pretty quick so i was able to run out with like my wallet keys and phone at the time but i lost literally everything else including all my clothes except what i was wearing and um my all my music gear my studio everything i had at the time and oddly enough it was as horrible as it was it was there was something like freeing about it that i can't i can't say is like something you want to experience but it's like in the midst of that there was something really light about it all physically not having all those possessions so i think that led to like my next like iteration of being a musician, which was just much more simple and more about like the emotion and the processing things like that. And um, yeah, so that was, that was where it turned into like therapy music for me. And then um, in June of 2009, as you probably know, is when uh, my dad passed away. 
And that was right when I was getting back on my feet after that fire, he, uh, he died on June 28th. And um, once again, music was the thing that helped me sort of self, you know, do self therapy on, on uh, that whole situation. And I was able to release my first album by the end of 2009 in December. So yeah, that's definitely fire and death and loss are huge, uh, huge points of, of uh, inspiration for, for my music, even since then. Um, the, the 11 years that I've been doing it are 12, I don't, I don't know, 12 now, I'm not sure. But yeah, that's, that continues to be what I'm sort of like infatuated with is just thinking about loss and process because in processing that because so many people go through death and loss of all kinds. So I just think that that's such a universal thing that we can all relate, relate with. So just to make to help out the audience who don't feel like opening up Google and double checking, your dad was actually the legendary pitch man, Billy Mays the second. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the guy who used to yell at me to buy OxyClean right before MST3K, that was him. <laughs> totally. Yep. So when you look at your music before then and after then, what do you see being a, a difference, a change? What Can you point to something you did in that stretch that you see yourself healing there? Um, man, it like actual, like speaking of the actual music, if you listen to anything I made before 2009, some of it's decent and pretty good. And I still, I still uh, reference it sometimes, but it was all very like, it didn't, it doesn't feel to me as authentic. Um, just it, or it doesn't feel as, as deep. And I don't mean deep, like in philosophically, I just mean deep to my own experience. Um, I would say that the turning point of 2009 was when it all just connected with like actual self-expression rather than this sort of like um, wall between what I was making and what I was feeling and going through. So I think, um, yeah, that like that mixed with, it also became more improvised. I think it was much more before 2009, it was much more meticulous and head driven and sort of like, I don't know, mathematical even. But um, after that, it a lot of it became so inspired by just like, well, this is what I feel like doing and spontaneous. And then taking what was done spontaneously and sort of giving it direction. And then and my 2009 album, Gently, is still kind of like, it's, it's a certain peak for me of the perfect mixture of, uh, I, I call it like channeled, like, I don't take full credit for all the ideas and the structures of it, but also it's, it's sort of coherent. It has a, a certain sound to it and a certain, um, certain thematic um, just melodies and stuff that kind of weave through it that I don't, I don't know if I've ever been able to replicate since then. And so what I'm hearing is that you were technically proficient before 2009, you had your skills down, you were practiced, but it was the events of, of that year and, and maybe what was going on in your headspace that just kind of helped you push those skills into, you were almost on autopilot when your emotions took over. Am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah, no, no, that, that's, I would say to even take it further, I, I would say that before 2009, probably a big, something that really colored my music was not feeling proficient enough in my technical ability. So therefore maybe that led to like 
trying to prove myself technically and like learn these complex things and on guitar I'm doing that because guitar and then um, and then I think maybe what happened is sort of just like giving up the idea of like technicality being the the interesting part of the music and that goes for even like what I became interested in listening to was I really liked imperfect things and people who were self-taught and things that didn't really make a lot of sense musically and even even production wise things that were less polished and and that's where I find myself now is like I totally appreciate technicality and like classically trained musicians but I really love when people are just sort of trying things out and it's not perfect but you you appreciate the chances they're taking and that's and that's how I kind of I have a lot over the last 12 years that I look back on that aren't that the music isn't quite what I what I envisioned it to be, but I'm glad that it exists the way it is and it's imperfection. And that's where you're gonna find new ideas and new music come from is people who take a risk, maybe three quarters of it sticks and the rest you say, well, okay, that that didn't pan out, but that's that's where inspiration comes from. That's where innovation comes from. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what excites me is, is like hearing something and just having my mind blown, just even at the most simple tweaks of something that I might be used to. I I just love that feeling of, of something that you're surprised that that's how someone decided to take it. <laughs> like someone decided to look at something that way and then express it that way. And, and then being like, wow, that's so simple like anyone could have stumbled onto that and that's what's beautiful about it can you give me an example um musically or just sure. in general i mean in general yeah. you're interested yeah i don't know i, I don't know i, I think I, there's something about um there's something about like simplicity in music that when somebody uses something very recognizable such as a chord progression or something, but it just manages to to flip it in such a way that you've never heard it that way or it feels different. That's I think that's sort of the balance that I would like to strike and that I try to strike um, when I'm improvising and stuff like that is sometimes I have to remind myself to just don't worry about if if this one chord to the other chord is the one that I always go to. If I'm playing it in that moment, I can really play it to where it doesn't matter if it sounds very uh, pedestrian or I don't know what the word is, but basic, even if something sounds basic, it's, it's sort of like a jazz thing. Like, like there are no wrong notes kind of thing. If you just sort of like push on that very simple thing, I think you can find, you can find magic in that. And I think that's what I'm talking about when I, when I say that that's a, that's at least part of it. Awesome. I mean, full disclosure, when it comes to music, I consider it almost a form of sorcery. I'm not good at any form of music whatsoever. <laughs> when people are saying, well, if you take this riff from this song, it sounds like this riff from this song, and one person clearly copied the other, I'm like, uh, I'll take your word for it, because yeah, you're talking <laughs> to the wrong person. So when, when you say stuff like that, that makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I... I, I kind of get what you're saying though, too, isn't it? Like there, people pull those things out of anywhere sometimes like, oh, that like that there's plagiarism in music. Mm -hmm. Like there's only so many notes you can do and so many combinations of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's okay that 
a lot of pop songs use the same chord progressions and stuff like that. It's not a huge deal. I just think the good ones are the ones that like really put a human touch on it. Right. I mean, I would think so. And I'm, we're wired to respond well to certain patterns and certain tones and not to others. That's just in our biology. So people could make the case that music is, is far more biological than we give it credit for. I'm not qualified to say yes or no, but people have said that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, to, to yeah. your point that you can't just say this is good and this is bad, this is creative and this is not when there's a, a sense to how you're doing things. And I'll, I'll say when you finally get those basic skills down and then you have a, an emotional reason to go a step further, that's, that's just a process. Yeah, totally. So, but it's like I said, instead of going ahead and just running with your music, which again, you've had a fair amount of success at that you you dedicate yourself to trying to go a step further and help other people along and that's i mean you can see that in the experience you had well on the, like there it's sort of the other side of what i'm out there doing and i uh i look at it as like music is my sorcery let's say <laughs> and then uh you know really anything pertaining to the recognition of my name and my dad's name and my dad's face, you know, based on that, like there's this sort of magic that I call it like meme magic where my dad's face and image conjures up such memories for people and energy from people. It's like people are excited to hear that or to just, it's just like a, sometimes it's just like a fun thing they learn in their day is that they're connected to <laughs> that guy's son and it's just like that's fun you know it's not i don't look at it as like life-changing for anybody but i noticed that people love to make memes and share videos and parody my dad and, and they're you know you know do you know how many times i've had it sent to me um in the past year the meme that was like just when you think 2020 can't get any crazier and it's like my dad and it says but wait there's more and like right by the end of 2020 i was like okay like people were sending me that all the time and then right on new year's 2021 i like it evolved and it went to you thought 2020 was bad <laughs> it was like but wait there's more and it was 2021 and so just the way that he shows up with that is powerful enough that you know i would just like to take that energy and do fun things and do hopefully helpful things with it. So I think I'm only at the beginning of that. I think the raising a little bit of money through different tribute projects has been good. And then, you know, I have, I have my sights set on doing fun things such as I really want, and this is sort of like, I might be way off base here, but I really want to collaborate with Funko and do like a Funko pop uh, Billy Mays figures. They make everyone else. And I want to like do it for charity and um, just sort of like make it a fun thing. Even if it's just like super limited edition, just to sort of make it rare. I just think that would be great. And it could be a little project on itself, like very effortless, just, you know, people trying to collect those and stuff. When we started off, I deliberately didn't make the immediate link to your dad because you're your own individual. I don't want to just throw everything on that horse, but I, I am glad that you brought it up and I do want to kind of look at that because I mm -hmm. there is a, a fame and a, uh, your dad does bring up a lot of good memories for people. And that's something that I think we don't have a whole lot of sense of now is just the fact that something can be 
you, you can just latch on to a good memory and turn it into something awesome, which is exactly what you're doing with these projects. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised by the amount of, you know, current, even current, like, younger generation people know my dad only through memes and only through jokes and stuff, which I think is hilarious. And uh, I just think it's, I think it's great. So I, I run a little thing, uh, billymaze.org is where I host these little projects, but a section of that site, I call it the museum. And it's like, you know, you can go there and, and there's a whole section of just memes that I've collected. And I'm trying to add to it as much as I can, as I find them or as people send them to me. But then there's like a tribute art section and there's like a video section where I just kind of put rare videos up. Cause you know, a lot of people have seen the basics, the OxyClean and the different commercials, but there's a lot of like obscure ones. And there's even some skits and just things that, you know, right when my dad was becoming most famous before he died was, you know, when these things were popping up. So I, I can only imagine where it was going to go. So there was a lot of energy there right when he passed away. He, a lot of people don't know that he was signed to be the, uh, the spokesperson for Taco Bell when he passed away Did and they never got to shoot anything. So I, I, I have a special place in my heart for that. And I, I really want to do something where I team up with Taco Bell in some way. I have this vision for like a Super Bowl commercial where it's me taking over and putting on the blue shirt like as a joke and training to become you know to fulfill his destiny as the taco bell spokesperson but you know that'll come when it comes if it comes i i remember one of the videos I just randomly stumbled across on youtube was him ordering at a drive-thru yeah it was a mcdonald's and i it was such that was such a weird like he was on a radio show in tampa he was on a morning show and i think that morning like somebody just hopped in his Bentley with him and we're like, we want to do this skit. And they just filmed it on a cell phone and it was him doing his lines into the drive-thru. And like, for some reason that went sort of viral and, you know, it was just goofy. It's just funny how stuff like that lives on. You make a really solid effort to go in there and say, you know, the world saw him from this extremely persuasive, high energy, high volume persona, which I'm sure there was a huge element of truth to that. But you said, but he was actually a much softer spoken, kinder person when a camera wasn't rolling. Oh, yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, I'm glad you take the point to do that because you, you don't want the, the caricature to be the only thing out there. Yeah. I mean, I have an easy time. Well, I won't say easy time, but I have a certain relationship with my dad, the person, and then like my dad's character, let's say, you know, I wouldn't say that it was a character so much because it didn't have that much to it, except, you know, the, the big personality. Um, but I, I personally sometimes look back and I, and I, I have more trouble obviously finding the memories of like, you know, who he was because so much of what I see every day and, you know, since then, since he passed away has been this sort of meme territory. That's like, none of these people could have any idea of who he really was. Cause there aren't that many like interviews and stuff like that, where he's not kind of playing it up, but anyone who knows him like behind the scenes or were, you know, the, the film crews that worked with him and everything, they tell you that he was just super quiet until the camera came on and not, not like quiet in a reserved way. He was very outgoing, but he, he was just the sort of guy that if you came up to him in an airport, and I've seen this personally many times because we used to travel a lot together, was he would sit there and he would just sort of like talk to the person, ask, and he would ask them about themselves, you know, and 
you would take photos with them. I would take the photos sometimes. I, there was a lot of those where I'd be the photographer for the people in the airport that were super excited to meet him. And then towards the end, he had started uh, in his suitcases carrying like, you know, 30 to 40 ready to go pictures that he can autograph and give to people, <laughs> which he just loved. He, I think he just loved that, that people were recognizing him at all. And he just wanted to like, you know, enjoy that in that time. That's, that's really amazing. And when somebody loses, I, I have a, a history similar to the, what you're describing. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have lost people in the recent past. And I, I kind of started to say to them, because you don't know what to say to somebody when they lose somebody. You say, well, I'm sorry. And you are, but that doesn't really seem like it's enough. And you, you try to say, well, it, it was God's plan or it was, there's, there's, a, yeah. there's so many things you want to say that you know aren't going to help. But what I've started to, to look at is when you're, you're sad because somebody that meant a lot is no longer here. And what you want is for the world to have that experience of having them around. Mm. So what we can do, and I think you're doing this, is you, we can say, we can find what made that person special and keep that part alive in the world. Mm. We, we can be what that person was in our own way. And that's, I think that helps people in a way that the other things don't. Yeah. I, I have a lot of, um, my, my, my partner, um, my life partner, her name's Katie. Um, she is sort of a, you know, involuntary grief expert. She, uh, has experienced some pretty big loss, but in, in the past few years, she's turned it into a newsletter. It's called my sweet dumb brain. And, um, you know, a lot of it is sort of like what you're saying, like, what do you say to someone who's going through the biggest loss of their life? And you're right. Like people don't want to hear it was God's plan or they're in a better place now. Like they don't, they don't want to hear stuff like that, but I do think it can be helpful to, to, to give it. And I don't even, it's not, it's not like a silver lining type thing. It's more just like, yeah, this sucks. And this is part of life. And like, don't discount that you you keep them alive by feeling this right now mm -hmm. and by continuing to feel that not not just like forgetting them and not pushing that feeling away because i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of media out there and stuff that that does a great job of saying this kind of thing but you gotta love uh the marvel show uh wandavision recently mm -hmm. uh that line from vision where he said what is love or what is grief if not love persevering you know mm -hmm. And that was something that you could tell that that spoke to a lot of people because it's, you know, I don't think grief and loss have been very accepted in our society. And only in the past few decades have we had language around it and, you know, sort of talk about death openly more and more. Not that, not that it's something people want to talk about all the time, but I, I love seeing that kind of thing in mainstream media where, you know, in WandaVision, for instance, that that they say that the the big bad, the villain of that show was grief, you know, was Wanda's grief. And I think that that's amazing. Like that 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 we're accepting that that's that is our big uh collective not not enemy. It's our it's our collective uh shared feeling that we we can all relate to in some way. Yeah. 
I mean, with, I'm a huge comic book fan, so shows like WandaVision are, are right up my alley. And I think one of the handicaps they've had for until extremely recently was that in comics, there was the joke that nobody really died. So it was very hard to put any hooks in grief and it, it didn't have any teeth if you thought that character was coming back. And now yeah. I think they're just becoming willing to play with the idea that if they if they commit to that, the idea of exploring a real life person's grief becomes real. Yeah. And it was amazing how they were able to do that with Vision, who this was his, I guess, third time coming back to life. And then they even ended it where he could come back again in some form. And you still feel like she lost him. And and that's kind of like the perfect way to kind of preserve that, like the possibilities are endless in comics for people to come back from the dead. But also, you know, she'll never have that. So I, I think it's great. And I'm a big comics fan too. And, um, I've actually just recently been uh, reading tons of Marvel comics in the, the Marvel Unlimited app. And it is crazy how convoluted and <laughs> confusing some of the storylines get compared to the movies, you know, but that's a whole other, yeah, it, whole other subject. I, I long ago learned to stop trying to compare the comic storylines with the movie storylines because it just ended badly for me, no matter how it went. Yeah. Um, I, I, I personally think the movies do a great job of, pulling all the best elements of some of these storylines, but simplifying them and making them easier to digest. And, you know, I think they're doing better than ever in some ways with things, directions they could have gone if they were trying to stay too true to the comics compared to, you know, these really good deep stories, but, you know, maybe it doesn't hit all the, all the things that the comics did. Yeah, the comics, you have to keep in mind, they're trying to sell the next issue and they're trying to get mm-hmm. you to read other stuff. So there's little hooks in the rest of the universe that maybe don't need to be there if you're just telling one story. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that's forgivable. It's just part of knowing how the media is made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there a certain story that you, that really grabbed you? Um, in the comics? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, last year early last year i read the uh the vision comic the one uh the one where it's it, i think it was a lot of the inspiration for one division but it was vision creates a family of other visions so his wife and two kids and the dog sparky and and like scarlet witch is barely involved in it but i i love that story because it was about vision's wife who's like sort of a real being and sort of not and she accidentally kills someone and and then they have to sort of deal with like an android having deep emotions and you know i just thought it was great and um i think it came out within the past five years it's it's pretty new but that one like was kind of what made me be like oh i should dive way deeper into some of these stories and that's yeah, right. some of them are just kind of washing over me right now. Like right now I'm, I'm reading the Captain America Sam Wilson uh, series. And like, it's okay, but it's sort of just like, there's not that many deep concepts and it's kind of just surface level and fun to read, but it's not like, I'll go through little things where I'll be reading like three of them at a time passively. And I'm like, these are okay, they're fine. And then I'll get hooked on one and it's just like, this is amazing. I got to finish this out. And you know, you know how sometimes they kind of just like, peter out or they go too long or they shift into another series with different uh artists and stuff and yeah 
I'm kind of going through a phase now where I'm deliberately reaching beyond my comfort zone and reading characters and stories that I really haven't read before, or at least going back into eras when I haven't read a lot and just trying to, and it's been rewarding because I, mm. I went through a phase, um, I read comics like crazy all through the 90s, uh, hit the mid 2000s and stopped for a lot of reasons, mostly because I just wasn't enjoying what I was reading at the time. And now that I'm coming back and picking and choosing, I'm, I'm feeling like a sense of renewal, like, okay, I have this freedom and a little bit of it comes from having the money to buy the comics, not gonna lie, mm -hmm. but it's, 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 there's a whole universe out there. Yeah, I love it, man. I'm, I'm like, I was kind of a late comer. I think I had read maybe in like, in the, in the early 2000s, I had read some things here and there. I remember reading like, Marvel zombies and just like things like that, that were just popping up like more special events. And, and uh, I think in the past, like three or four years, I've just been like, I'm going to do what you're doing and just deep dive into some things. And I've been loving it. It's, it's kind of an awesome medium. And I personally love doing it on the app where you can sort of swipe over and it goes panel to panel mm -hmm. and it adds some kind of cool little motion effects too. Sometimes if you're, if they drew the panels that way. Yeah, but I don't know. I, a lot of people are down on that. I don't read comics that way, but I can see the appeal. Yeah, and I, I think I think it would be great on a on a tablet. I I read it on my phone, and sometimes they're too small, and I got to go widescreen and like flip my phone, you know, to get to read the text. But I think it would be absolutely perfect for the um, because they also have it so you can zoom in and do all these different things if you don't have it set up that way. But yeah, I think it's great. You get to the point now where you realize most of the comics are being drawn by computer or, or on digital tablets. They never actually see paper in any form. Mm -hmm. So is there really a necessary step to put that to, on paper at the end of the process when they've never been on paper before? Yeah. I mean, I think as a collectible, that's always fun. I, I love things like that. And I'm actually writing a, a short graphic novel at the moment. Really? It's written, yeah, it's written and um, it's probably only about 12 to 15 pages, but it's sort of serving, I'm about to collaborate um, and hire this really awesome artist to basically just do it. And that's gonna serve as sort of the script slash storyboard for the, the short animated film I would like to make out of it. All right, you're so. blowing my mind now. <laughs> I know you probably don't wanna give me a lot of details at this stage of the creative process. That's fine. But what got you going in that direction? Um, I don't even know if it was from reading comics. I think, I think I actually, back in maybe 2007, let's say, I had written this treatment, let's call it, for a short animated film. It probably would have ended up being like more of a music video for my music at that point. And it's, and this isn't even the idea that I'm talking about, but it's the, it's the next one that I would like to do is I've sort of unearthed that that treatment. And I'm like, well, if I do this first one, I can do this more intense one. That's, you know, whatever. So I, I think that it was always going to be like, oh, I, I have this animated short film written and, and I love it. It's I've explained it to a bunch of people and they're like that, that just works. And it's a really simple thing. And I'm not, I'm not like, usually, I usually don't come up with things that simple that are that appealing to people on like a general level. Like my music is very abstract and experimental. So I always feel like I have to explain it or preface it. Whereas this, I feel it's just a story and it's short and it, you could watch it in probably five to 10 minutes 
at the most. And the problem is I just don't, I never thought I can't animate it. I don't know who's going to animate it. Animation seems expensive. Um, so I think maybe reading these Marvel comics has sort of made me realize it would be much easier to turn it into a, a little graphic novel first and it totally would work as a graphic novel as well. So it may, it may stop it being a graphic novel and just be that and be this little short thing that I sell at my shows. Um, Cause I'm going to print it out. I, I'm a big fan of that. I have a poetry book that I, I had published self-published that I sell on my merch table, which is like probably my most interesting piece of merch at shows. But this, this idea of making it sort of be the storyboard slash script for the short film probably only came together in the past three months. Um, and I think it, I think the best example of this for me is that, are you familiar with the, the movie, The Fountain? I know. Of um, it's Darren Aronofsky who directed like like Re Requiem for a Dream and Pi and um, Black Swan, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is The Fountain. It's okay. number one of like, I have a pretty defined top five, top 10, but The Fountain is number one. It's been number one since the moment I saw it. And like, I think it came out in like 2006 or something. Um, the music's amazing. One of my favorite bands is involved with it, Mogwai. Um, all of it just works for me. It's it's a short movie. It's like an hour and 40 minutes maybe. And a few years after that movie came out, I found out that there is a full length graphic novel version of this movie that Darren collaborated with an artist to make it if because he didn't make the movie yet. Like this was gonna be his proof of concept that the story works. And so I, that's one of my favorite comics ever. I think it's a Vertigo, um, is that? Yeah, I think it's a Vertigo comic. Okay. And it's this, it's this really paint, like just artsy kind of, I don't know what you call it. I, I, there might be better comic terms for it, but it's just like, it looks like paintings. It's so like brushwork and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And I think that was where I realized that this would be, you know, I'd be, I'd be uh, sort of, I'd be copying one of my favorite filmmakers and it worked for him. So, you know, why not try it? And I think that's a clear sign that comics have finally come into their own as a respectable medium for selling, telling a story rather than just some disposable entertainment that we're just not taking seriously. The fact that you you think that it's a step up to do it as a comic really is, is a sign of the times. Yeah. I just, I think when you really think about it, like some some comics are just like undeniably you know, relatable. Like you could just pick it up. You don't have to be like in this super focus, like you're reading a novel kind of thing. Cause that's, some people don't like to read long form stories, you know, stuff like that. But for me, it just seems like it's this, it's this middle ground of, I mean, I'm, I'm explaining something in such, it, it's literally called a graphic novel. So <laughs> I'm explaining what it is, but no, no, I, just, I get it. Uh, yeah, no. And I think it's like, it's almost too simple to even talk about, but yeah, I'm just saying like, there's not much like it. It's like, I love how it has its own language of the sound effects that are drawn on there, the BAMF and the, you know, POW and stuff like that. And then the, the voice bubbles and stuff. I just love it. Yeah, and, and it's like I said, we haven't really respected it until recently where people are saying, no, it's not just, you know, bubbles on pictures. It's, it's, there's a writing and an artistry, and they become more than the sum of their parts when they're put together. 
That's yeah. the part people don't get until they read a lot of it is that once you finally have the right people doing the story, there, you can't reproduce that as text or as a movie. It has to be its own thing. Yeah, and a lot of people don't consider like the rhythm of the page and just things that are so unique to that art form that yeah, I think that happens with a lot of things. For, for instance, I'm a big fan of pro wrestling, um, lifetime fan of pro wrestling. And you could write it off as just like this fake thing where people are just people in underwear, just like fake beating each other up. But I just, I just so appreciate it as an art form, this like really specific art form of athletic theater, you know? And I think there's a lot of things that are in our, in our age now, not, not our age, our age of media and content where mm. people can kind of appreciate what they want to appreciate. And like, nothing's really obscure anymore. You can kind of find it if you want to find it and you can mm -hmm. find people who also like it. So everything kind of has its own, I guess, fandoms and stuff like that, which also can be kind of toxic, but yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that's there, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think that that's a huge deal is that there's, there's now a point where anybody can make something, anybody can get it out there. Quality might be variable, but there's not a reason you can't tell your story. If somebody wants to hear it, there's not a reason they can't find it. And that's leading to a whole new realm of creativity that we've just never been able to do before. Totally. And, yeah. and you know, coming from the days when there would be one bard telling a story in the park or somebody spinning a yarn at the pub to, if I want to make my own superhero movie, all I need is a crap load of spandex and a cell phone. That's, that's a game changer. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's also a curse in some ways in that like there's so much of it that you there is that overwhelm of content like literally yesterday last night we hooked up our new tv at our new house and i got an apple tv and i'm connecting all my streaming services i get a few of them for free via other things such as like because i have the internet i with at&t i get hbo max for free so i have netflix hbo apple tv plus Disney plus, you know, there's literally eight of them and I'm just, it's so exciting because I have all that content and it's also like overwhelming because I could just sit here all day and try to watch everything, but you know, you can't complain. You really can't complain no. that there's that much uh, quality things to pick from, you know? Yeah. I can't think of a better place to leave it, man. That's it's, We live in a great age and I'm glad <laughs> that people like you and I have the chance to do stuff like this. Totally. So, yeah. Um, I would love to have you back anytime. I want to keep an eye on that comic project you got going on there. Yeah, yeah. Everything we've talked about, I'm going to put in the show notes on my website, AaronBossig.com. Okay. But is there any other social media links you want to drop or places you want to send people? Um, I have a I have a Patreon account, Patreon.com/slash/InfiniteThird, and it's three thirty three a month, and I sort of have made that my sort of like private community where I've kind of stopped just sharing everything that I do and everything that I make, whether it's live videos or whatever, I've kind of stopped just constantly sharing it all. And a lot of times I'll just only release it there for the patrons because they're the people who care and they're actually invested in what I do. So that is an awesome place. And then the second thing would be uh, my Twitch channel, which has been on hiatus for about a month and a half, two months, but this studio behind me mm -hmm. is all this week is about to have a green screen and lights and my camera set up and everything. So twitch.tv slash infinite third. Um, 
I'm hoping that the first weekly stream will be back in May and I'm going to do Friday night streams seven to 10. So uh, Eastern time. So those are the two things I can think of that would be great to connect with people. Awesome. Awesome. Billy, thank you so much for being here. It's meant the world to me and I hope to have you back sometime soon. Yeah. Anytime. Let's do it again. I would like to thank Billy for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, that part where we talk about growing the show that takes less than five minutes of your time and costs you nothing, I would like to ask if you've done anything similar to what Billy's done, where you've used your fandom or your platform to fund a charity or promote a charity. If you have, I want to hear your story please send it to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. Remember, we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, and you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.